1313. And uh, aren't you enjoying this beautiful weather? Well, don't enjoy it too much. It's fixing to change. And you'd gripe if it didn't change. Because when it's hot, we gripe. When it's cold, we gripe. When the wind's blowing, we gripe. Come on. You know I'm telling the truth. I was bragging on the weather on the way over here to church today. My wife and I both were just excited this beautiful day. This is a great day to be in God's kingdom. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandments of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. But now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. It appears to me that the Lord is through the man of God Samuel rebuking Saul because he did not do good. He did not obey the Lord fully. He probably didn't make a passing grade. He probably didn't please the Lord. And because of that, the Lord said, I'm looking for a man after my heart. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight, seeking, or to, this morning, God's heart, seeking God's heart. Everybody say that with me, seeking God's heart. In Paul's sermon at Antioch, in the book of Acts, he refers to the statement made by God concerning David in Acts 13.21, he said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Now notice what the Lord said, who will do all my will. Now that kind of blows the theory of those people that think you don't have to do much after you accept the Lord or after you get saved after you get born again. It's just the Lord doesn't look at that as important after you get saved. And I believe that God is concerned about our actions. Jesus spent a lot of time teaching us how to love other people. What did he say about your neighbor? Love your neighbor as yourself. I've had a lot of neighbors, boy, I'll tell you, it was just very difficult to love them. Huh? You got one now. We don't call any names, please. This is being recorded. We don't want to go to jail. And so the Lord said, David will do all my will. I think the Lord is concerned with how we act. And what we do. This beautiful compliment was from God. He was complimenting David for being a man after his own heart. 
and one that was willing to do all of God's will. There must have been something in David's life that caused God to feel this way about him. From Genesis to Revelation, we find God selecting men and women who would not have obviously been the choices that you and I would have chosen if we would have been the chosen, chosar, or is it chosy? Huh? Chosar, I got it right. If I was the one choosing, if I was the one that was looking at the qualifications, I might not have been as merciful as God was. Look at this list. Moses stuttered, I guess. He had a problem, and a lot of people think he stuttered. I can't prove it indefinitely. Jacob lied. Timothy probably had ulcers. Abraham was just entirely too old. How could God use an old man like that? I don't know. You're kind of seeing that now. Abraham was too old. Jonah ran from God. Thomas was a doubter. And I preached a message too, not too long ago. We give him a lot of trouble for being the doubter. But he wasn't the only one that left. He wasn't the only one that questioned. He's the recorded one. He's the one that story was emphasizing. But all of them were doubters. All of them had fear. All of them ran when they had the opportunity. But Thomas got the blame for it. Martha was a worry wart. And these were not the kind of people that you or I might pick if we were trying to build a kingdom. But the Bible tells us that not only did God choose these men, but he did it on purpose. God did it on purpose. Can I tell you that when he chose you, it wasn't an accident? When God reached out to you and found you where you were, living how you were living your life, God did it on purpose. It was not an accident. God did not make a mistake when he found you. The only thing that God asks you is that you live for him in such a way that it doesn't make him look bad in his choices. Well, that's a good thought. Y'all should have said, whoa, or something, you know. God wants you to make him look good because he chose you. Make it look like God knew what he was doing. Don't be a failure. Don't be a quitter. Don't disappoint God because God knew that you have the capabilities of living for him. He didn't make a mistake when he filled you with the Holy Ghost. Somebody say, thank God. These were not the kind of people you might pick, but the Bible tells us that not only did God choose these men, He did it on purpose. God deliberately chooses people that you and I would probably overlook. King Saul didn't seem like such a bad person to have as king when he first started leading Israel. He was handsome. He was strong. He was taller than anyone else in Israel. 
Now, can you imagine me the tallest? Not in the church, not in the school, not in the town, but in the country. And at the beginning of his reign as king, he seemed wise. And he was very popular. Everybody seemed to like Saul. Everyone was impressed with him and his leadership abilities. Everyone except God. God was not impressed with the way Saul began to rule Israel. Saul's problem was simple when he was faced with tough decisions, when he was faced with difficult choices. He knew without a doubt what God's will was. He knew what God wanted him to do. But the problem was that he just didn't do it. He didn't do. How many times have we got ourselves in trouble and I didn't say, have I? I said, we. I included all of y'all. How many times have we got ourselves in trouble because we didn't do what we knew we should be doing? You ever get in trouble? Growing up, did anybody ever get in trouble besides me? I disappointed my mom and dad a lot of times. I've disappointed my wife. And I've disappointed God. Saul made his choices based on fear. Fear of failure. Fear his army would abandon him. Fear that his enemies would capture him and destroy him. All sorts of fears. In fact, it seemed that Saul allowed fear in everything and everywhere and anyone that he used or anywhere he went, he was ruled by fear. So the Bible tells us that God rejected Saul as king and went looking for someone after his own heart. He allowed fear to cause him to disobey God. God told him to destroy the Amalekites completely all of their uh, herds, all of their families, I mean, completely destroy them. And Saul took it upon himself to figure out what a great opportunity to have a great sacrifice to the Lord with all of these animals that we have captured. Even though Saul told, or, or Samuel told Saul explicitly, what to do. He just did it his own way, got himself in trouble, and went ahead and gave sacrifice without the prophet being there. I'm going to tell you something. God wants us to obey him. The Bible is full. This Bible is full of verses of Scripture that tell us what is important. I grabbed my iPad and it went, I don't know where it went there for a minute. Somebody said, man, that's dangerous teaching on an iPad. I've been doing it about 10 years yet and it's not let me down yet. But when I go preach out, I have two iPads. 
both of them are on the same message. One of them's in my briefcase. One of them's up there with me. If I'm really speaking to a big crowd or something special, I'll have the other one right beside me. And if this one goes down or goes out, I'll flip over the other one. And I also have it on my phone. And if I'm really preaching out to a really, really guy, I'll also have a hard copy printed up. <clears throat> what does it look like to be a man or a woman after God's heart? First of all, it's not about our physical appearance. Remember Saul, God said he was head and shoulders above everybody else and the people wanted him. He looked like a good choice built on simply his physique. God is not just interested in how good you're built or how good looking you are, how tall you are, how educated you are. God is not impressed with those things. He's not. A lot of people think that God notices like we notice. He is not. Why would God be impressed with our pavement. You know what that is? That's gold. <laughs> All of us would like to have gold. Amen? How many of you would like to have a trunk full of gold coins? Sure you would. Some of you just don't. You're liars because you didn't raise your hand. You know you would like to have it. Some of you not going to vote. I don't care what I do. You know you would like to have a suitcase full of gold coins. Am I right? How many of you would? I'm just looking to see if some of you got came to your senses and, and, and voted. You know you would. If you don't, give me your suitcase. I'll gladly take it. But we, we think, boy, the gold, silver, and all that stuff. God looks at it as pavement. He paved the streets of heaven with gold. So it's just pavement to him. He's not impressed with that. First of all, it's not about our appearance. A group of high school students were asked recently, if you could change anything about yourself, anything, what would it be? Was it, I wish I had better grades? No. I wish I was healthier. I wish I was more athletic and had that ability. I wish I had more money. I wish I was more popular. Not one of these things were mentioned. 90% of the responses of this survey came back with this answer. I would change my physical appearance. The girls wanted to be thinner. The boys wanted to be taller and more muscled. They both wanted to be free from pimples and acne. Acne. The uh, Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. It says... The Bible says man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the pocketbook, the education, the heart. God isn't impressed with how handsome or beautiful we are. He's not impressed with our wealth. He's not impressed with our accomplishments. He's not impressed with our college degrees. What God looks at is the heart. The Bible says that the eyes of the Lord run throughout the earth to strengthen those whose income 
are fully committed to him. Whose talents are fully committed to him. No, whose hearts are fully committed to him. Shrug, Shug Jordan was the football coach for Auburn University. And he asked one of his former players named Mike if he would help him do some recruiting. And Mike says, sure, coach. Just tell me what kind of players you're looking for. I'll be glad to help you. The coach says, well, you know that fella. You knock him down and he just stays down. Mike said, oh, yeah, coach. We don't want them, do we, coach? Coach Jordan says, well, you're right, Mike. We don't want him. Coach then says, there's this fella, you knock him down, he gets up, you knock him down again, and he stays down. Mike says, oh, I understand, Coach, we don't want him either, do we? Coach says, you're right, Mike. Coach says, well, we don't want the fella you knock down, and he gets up. You knock him down, he gets up. You knock him down, he gets up. Mike says, whoa, wait a minute, Coach. Isn't that the kind of guy we want? Coach Jordan says, no, I'm not really looking for him either. I want to find the guy that's knocking everybody down. That's the guy I want on my team. God's looking for somebody that's busy doing what God wants us to do. I want to be... I want to be in the middle of God's will. God wants me and you to be consumed with him and his will. There are principles to guide us in developing a heart like God. First principle I'm going to bring to your attention this morning is this. The principle of putting Jesus first in everything. Now the Lord made it very clear, and I've taught on this many, many times and preached on this when the Lord was asked, what, what's important? What's the first commandment? What, what, what's really important to you? And he said, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, if you get thinking about that, that pretty well covers your entire being. It pretty much takes care of all of the avenues of our life. If we're going to be men and women after God's own heart, then our lives must completely focus on Jesus Christ and not on ourselves. David said to the Lord, You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. David realized without you, God, there's nothing good about me. And I think we probably all would need to say amen to that. There's not much good about me except the fact that the Lord makes me what I am. The good part. He didn't make the bad part. I make that. Godly people recognize that life is not about me. It's about Jesus Christ. They're willing to step aside and allow God to get the glory. Godly people practice humility. Everybody say humility, not humidity. 
There's a big difference. Don't get the word wrong. I use the word practice. Godly people practice humility. I use the word practice intentionally because we don't usually get it right the first time. Can you say ma'am? Pride is one of the things that cost Adam and Eve their place in the kingdom. They didn't get it right. Pride is the essence of all sin, and the scripture tells us that God hates pride. The word humility in the Old Testament comes from a Hebrew word that means to bend the knee, to bow down. It's the quickest way to know of how to remove pride from your life. A man after God's heart must practice humility. It's not something we're born with. You watch a little kid play with other kids. I'm telling you, humility is not something that they're born with. They're born with, it's mine! Give it to me! Am I right? My grandkids are awesome to be around, but I still noticed, I noticed it this week. It's mine! Gigi! Papa! We had to deal with that. And the only difference between them and us is age. We still cry and fight and fuss and all that. We're, just, we're older, but not a lot of times much wiser. Can you say amen? The principle of living in the Word, if we're going to be men and women after God's own heart, we must learn to love God's Word. David constantly lived in the Word. David wrote, God's laws are perfect. They protect us, make us wise, and give us joy and light. They are more desirable than gold. They're sweeter than the honey dipped in a honeycomb. For they warn us away from harm and give success to those who obey them. David was determined on a daily basis that he would build his daily life around the Word of God. When David needed advice, he would go first to God's Word. Let me ask you, what do you do f first when you need advice? Too many times we go to God after we've exhausted all of our other resources. You might as well just give me a good old nod. You know, it's the truth. It's the truth. We all do that. I have actually asked people, that have come to me for advice and counsel in the years that I've been in the ministry as a pastor. And one question I've asked them, have you prayed about this? And you'd be surprised how many times they'd say, no, not really. And you want me to give you advice and you haven't even prayed about it? Come on now. Why is it that we want to wait until the last resort to turn to God as though it were only a 911 God, emergency God. God needs to be more than just an emergency God. He needs to be 
our everyday God that we communicate. God does not want to be last on our list. He will be lots of things, but God refuses to be last. David was, wasn't favored because of his performance. There were too many things out of place for that to succeed. The only thing David did was pursue God. That's not performance outcome. It's an act of the will. God does not affirm, affirm us because of exceptional performance. He affirms us because we pursue Him and we put Him first in our lives. The second thing that I noticed about David chasing after God, he was passionate for God. I talked about passionate passion last Sunday. He was not passionate about God, but passionate for God. There are many people passionate about their favorite sports team or their favorite weight loss program. They buy season tic tickets or actually keep some kind of plan to lose their weight. David wasn't offering lip service about God. He was experiencing firsthand God's activity in his world, which led him to be passionate for God, he was invested. He speaks at length about God's majesty in Psalms 8 and 1, his wonders, his holiness, and says, heavens declare God's glory in verse 19. He called God his shepherd, the creator, his sustainer, and his light and salvation. David even speaks of being in God's debt. And it goes on. David made no apology. Actually, he declared it openly. David was passionate for God. He said, I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David loved going to church. He worshiped and loved to worship God. That's characteristic of people who are passionate for God. They will love to go to church and they will love to worship God and they will love to give. And I'm not just talking about financially when I say the word give. There's a lot more than just giving your tithe and offering to God. Giving your time and working with people. I desire to be like David. I believe David bought season tickets to God's house. That's what I want. Just give me season tickets to God's house. I want to prove that I'm a team player. I want to show the world that I'm on the team that I believe is going to win. I do believe we're on the right team. I do believe we have the right leader. I do believe that we're going to be in the rapture of the church if we remain faithful. And I got to quit. I may come back with this some more next Sunday. I'll just have to see what the Lord says. God bless you.